to Denver Sports Tonight. Taking a look at the biggest stories in Denver sports. From your online home for the best opinions and information on the Broncos, Nuggets, Avalanche, Rockies, and more. DenverSports.com. And it is Denver Sports Tonight on this Monday night in the Mile High City. He's Jake Shapiro. I'm Will Peterson. We'll be with you for the next hour. Catching up on an interesting day in Denver sports. Broncos wide receiver rumors heat up. They were going after Adam Thielen, who lands in Carolina. We learned that. Avalanche make news on two different fronts today. They're about an hour from puck drop against the Blackhawks. Gabriel Landeskog was out there this morning for a brief amount of time. Kel McCarr won't play tonight. We'll give you the details. Nuggets get a big win yesterday. The Rockies have the worst pitcher in the World Baseball Classic. CU Buffs coach Prime gets spring ball going on Sunday. Uh, so there's a lot going on, Jake. How you doing, man? You just threw so many things on, uh, on like, throughout the airways. I'm like, what are, what are you even talking about? I'm like, there's just so much going on in the sports world. I was just talking to my grandmother okay. on the way in. And she's like, oh, you, you were saying how it's going to be a nice week. The Nuggets are out of town. You maybe get a little relaxation. She's like, how was it? I'm like, it was the busiest week of sports, and I forgot about March Madness before I told you that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we we hosted six games down at Ball Arena. Here it was awesome, by the way. I was there. It was a great atmosphere. Well, let's start there. So you you checked it out on Thursday. Fill us in on sort of what we may not have seen on TV, um, behind-the-scenes kind of stuff that was your, your favorite part of having the madness back in Denver for the first time in, I believe, five or six years. Yeah, selfishly, it was great because I got to sit on the floor for a couple of the games, and it's always great when you get that close-up view and you can hear the players communicating with each other. It's cool, and Rachel talked about this, V-Hill, Rachel V-Hill, our colleague on Coffee Break earlier. It's just the foot speed and the athleticism in which these guys play with is just remarkable, even at the college level. It's just so impressive. And uh, some of the stuff that was awesome that you didn't really see and maybe got lost when you're flipping channels or having it on a second screen with it muted, the atmosphere was like a Nuggets game. It was loud in there at times. Uh, the bands were really lit. Uh, just random you know, fans getting behind Arizona State at one of the games I was at because they were the underseeded team. So it, it was cool. Like There was people rooting for and staying for the second game and being into the action, I don't think anyone actually knew most of the players besides people wearing the team logos and colors for the teams that were yeah. there. We all, we all know Drew Timmy because he's been in Gonzaga for 19 years. Right. As I think I was the only one that knew uh, Keontae George is about to be a top five pick in the NBA draft from Baylor. Okay. but I was about to say, who does Keontae George play for? So right. Thank you. Yes. And, and this is just how college basketball is at this point. But, yeah, that's that's what I really noticed being there rather than on TV because I watched one of the games on TV. I was there for a bunch of the other ones. And it was just like, it felt different when you were there compared to watching whatever was going on in Greensboro or wherever. Well, some of those arenas uh, around the country looked half empty. So I thought Denver showed up and showed out that 18,000 strong for basically all six games. That's a testament to the sports city Denver is because Grand Canyon, with all due respect to them, wasn't bringing in 18,000 fans. A lot of that was people who live in our city who just wanted to be a part of the tournament and go check it out. It was 130 plus for a ticket on Sunday. It was $4 for a ticket in Greensboro. $126 gap explains why uh, they couldn't fill half the seats in Greensboro and why they were in high demand here. So you're telling me even more people wanted to go, which uh, this gets us a little off track, but does raise an interesting theory, Jake. With that kind of attendance for round of 64, round of 32, Denver could absolutely host a Final Four with the way the demand is and all of that. But 
Final Fours are played in football stadiums. They ain't getting a Final Four unless they get a new stadium with a roof or somehow, and we've heard whispers, that new scoreboard at Empower Field is going to be so high because they're interested in seeing, hey, could we roof this bad boy up somehow, some way? So maybe Denver could get a Final Four one day. It feels like they had the support, but a Final Four in Denver is at least a decade out. Yeah, and roofs are heavy, and especially roofs that have retractable uh, parts to them. So we're, we're talking about this is far out, but this is one of the goals. And this is something that's been talked about before. Denver used to host, host the Final Four. It used to be in the regular rotation. We have a great sports city. It, it really gets overlooked. We're the smallest market that has all five major sports when you include MLS as well. Okay. People don't realize that. And, you know, our MLS team plays far away, but every one of our other sports gets great support. Like, we're in the top five in attendance right now in the NHL, NBA. We're constantly in the top five uh, attendance in the National League with the Rockies. The Broncos haven't, you know, not had a sellout in forever. So, you know, we could totally be a Final Four city. I would like us to see see us get a regional first, and that's unquestionably going to be sold out. But Ball Arena is capable of hosting a regional. You know, those are at Madison Square Garden and Yum, the KFC Yum Center. Yeah, they're uh, going to Louisville this week, which is a it's a college arena. Why is that in the South region, by the way? Louisville's not the South. Yeah, I need a little geography lesson, but that feels more Midwest. To yeah, me. yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Well, I'm glad it was a good time. Hopefully, people went. Uh, or, or people who are listening, win. Hit us up on the RamosLaw.com text line, 303-713-1043, if you saw anything quirky or fun down there. But, Jake, I, I did sort of highlight the start of the show, all the big stories, so we'll try to get to each of them in the next hour. I think the most interesting thing today, though, was that we've heard all kinds of whispers that the Broncos want to upgrade their wide receiver core uh, trade rumors around Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. How can this group get better for Russell Wilson, give him more weapons, healthier weapons? Three of their four receivers have torn their ACLs in the last three years. Cortland Sutton in 2020, K.J. Hamler in 2021, Tim Patrick in 2022. And that's why the trainer was fired. fired. Mm, partially. Among. Among, among uh, other reasons. I think it was more the hamstrings than the ACLs. I think the ACLs are a little more fluky. But uh, point being, it's a beat-up receiving core that is maybe not all that talented in the first place, plus you throw in three of the four guys with ACLs in the last three years, that doesn't help. So, Adam Thielen, big free agent name on the market, big cut, surprise cut by the Minnesota Vikings, lands in Carolina with the Panthers, but he goes on Pat McAfee's show today and reveals this detail. You know, there is the Broncos, Cowboys, you know, I had I had um, conversations with uh, those teams and, and a few others. Um, and, uh, again, uh, the Panthers just uh, felt like the, the best fit, and it all kind of just worked out. Broncos, Cowboys, a few others, but he names the Broncos in Dallas by name. Dallas, of course, ends up with Brandon Cook, sort of takes them out of the Odell Beckham Jr. sweepstakes. What do you make of the fact that the Broncos were actively pursuing Adam Thielen as a free agent, and does that explain some of the rumors because you would have needed to clear up cap space a la let's trade Cortland Sutton, give that money to Adam Thielen. Yeah, it does explain the re, uh, the rumors because the Broncos clearly need some weapons for Russell Wilson. That was clearly missing in the second half, especially when Javante Williams went down. There just weren't things around Russell Wilson on offense to really do anything aside for the emergence of Jerry Judy. Like, their offense was stagnant, and it wasn't just a Russell Wilson problem. It was the offensive line and the weapons. I don't know if Adam Thielen was the right choice, I think he certainly is an upgrade for the Broncos. He's had over 700 yards in, you know, what, six of the last seven years or something like that, and the only year he didn't, he was hurt. But he's never been a number one receiver. Like, he was the number two um, when they had Diggs. He was the number two now with Jefferson. 
So he wasn't going to be a number one here. So it was just another number two, because I think Jerry Judy's a number two right now with the potential to be a number one. I think Sutton on a good day is a two. I think Tim Patrick is a fringy two, three. Like, they need a number one wide receiver, and yep. hopefully Jerry Judy can be that guy. Adam Thielen wasn't going to be that guy. So if you brought in Adam Thielen, to me, that was a sign you were going to trade Cortland Sutton with that cap hit so you could bring in Thielen, yep. and you hoped Jerry Judy was going to make that leap, and you hoped Greg Dulcich was going to become a really good tight end. And it makes you wonder about the the view, and we don't know the financials, but the view around the league of Russell Wilson. Because Adam Thielen is now signing up for a team that, yes, of course, they traded for the number one overall pick, but he is now saying that he would rather play with a rookie quarterback, a Bryce Young, a C.J. Stroud, than he would Russell Wilson. Now, is that the sole factor in Adam Thielen's decision for picking Carolina? Again, no. We don't know the financials. We don't necessarily know the role. We don't know if the Broncos just couldn't afford him because they hadn't unloaded another contract that they needed the space. But it is an interesting commentary that a year ago this time, if I had said, hey, does receiver X want to play with Russell Wilson or a rookie wide receiver, or excuse me, a rookie quarterback, they would have picked Russell Wilson. Whereas now these guys are thinking, hmm, if I get in good with a, a number one overall pick who turns into a perennial pro bowler in a year or two, a la Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, that's going to be a good thing for my career. It again shows you sort of the the perception around the league of playing with Russ, what it is now versus what it was this time a year ago. So Adam Thielen did start all 17 games last year, started 13 the year before. He's had some injury issues. I think we'd all, you know, say that. But so is anyone that's been in the NFL that's played 135 games. Will, do you know who the leading receiver in terms of touchdowns were for the Denver Broncos last year and how many touchdown passes he caught? I would got to think it was Jerry Judy with six. Do you know how many Adam Thielen caught last year? Am I right on that? Yeah, you're right. Okay. Uh, Thielen, I mean, Jefferson's such a target hog up there, man. You you could tell me Thielen caught uh, seven or eight. Six, okay. yeah. So, And he's had more than six in each of the last five seasons. He would have been tied for the best receiver in the Broncos. Like, Adam Thielen would have been awesome. Like, he would have been a good upgrade for the Broncos. To me, it's interesting because you're stripping away the weapons that you have, potentially, to upgrade those same positions. And I think if you do trade Jerry Judy for a first-round pick, you're going to need to acquire probably that first round pick, you're probably going to need to get a receiver and you're probably going to need to sign a free agent who's a receiver. Right. So the Broncos... And that well is drying up. Right. I mean, there's Odell Beckham out there, but is there another household name that's still out there at receiver? Not really. And you make the point, who wants to play with Russell Wilson? Right. Does Odell Beckham want to play with Russell Wilson? And I think we're seeing, both from Draymond Jones and in teammates in the past, and even Ejero Evero, who also went to Carolina... People just don't want to be on the same team as Russell Wilson. Mm. So, and, and Draymond did that radio interview last week with our sister station, Seattle Sports 710, and said there was chaos, there wasn't a lot of focus on football, et cetera, et cetera. It was hectic was the word he used. I perceived that as a shot at Russell Wilson. Yeah, obviously it was a shot at Russell Wilson. He brought the circus to town. It was a circus. Entourage and all that. All the fix-ins, QB coach in the building, family gets special treatment, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's funny because the, the ecosystem around LeBron James is similar to that of Russell Wilson, obviously far different caliber of greatness in their athleticism. But LeBron James uh, targets so much money and spends so much time on his coaches and recovery and his body. Russell Wilson posts like he's doing those things, but I don't know if he's actually doing those things. And I could see as a, how a teammate would be like, 
if that guy is posting all those things but not putting in that same level of work, that dedication that LeBron James has, how you could get bothered by that fact alone, let alone all the other things. So I think there's just so many reasons why you would look at a team with Russell Wilson and another team that has a mystery box quarterback and say, all things being equal, what am I going to do here? And you and you run away from the situation that's been so bad for so long. Like, the Broncos have been bad for so long, and Russell Wilson has not been good for several years now. Mm, he, was, he was an MVP candidate in 2020. So Okay, two years. We're, we're he, coming up on year three. Yeah. Several is three to seven. You're right. All right, yes, he... He, he went through some injury woes in 2021, and when he came back initially from the finger was not good. And then, yes, in 2022, he was not good. But I, I see your point. The, the Russell Wilson career arc appears to be on the way down without question. The other thing you mentioned that's really interesting is the Jerry Judy first-round pick thing. Now, we had heard all kinds of rumblings about that for weeks, that the asking price was a first-round pick, whatever. But then today the report comes out of Dallas with the Cowboys from the Dallas Morning News that they asked – for a first-round pick, the Broncos did, for Jerry Judy. The Cowboys had conversations about that. They flirted with it, and they ultimately balked at the price. That's just another confirmation, Jake, that the Broncos did indeed and are indeed shopping Jerry Judy and very specifically said to the Cowboys, he's yours for a first-round pick. And the Cowboys said, "Mm, that's a little rich for our blood and went instead in the Brandon Cook's direction I think there was a thought that these conversations about Judy were smokescreens to try to mm, guide teams towards Cortland Sutton because that's the asset they really do want to shed themselves of. But when you hear that out of Dallas, it does feel like if Jerry Jones, and leave it up to Jerry Jones to do it, had said, you know what, I like Jerry Judy a lot Alabama, out of Alabama, let's do it, that Jerry Judy would be a cowboy and the Broncos would have their first-round pick. I think it, it probably got pretty close to happening. Dallas is picking... 26th this year. So you're likely getting that 26th pick because the Broncos are in win-now mode. To be clear, I think this ship has sailed. They would have gotten the 26th Right, right, right. Yeah. So basically of the Broncos asking for the 26th pick for Jerry Judy and that team saying no is my understanding because the way I look at it, the Broncos are in win-now mode. At least that's what it looks like based off what they just did in free agency. The Broncos think the Broncos are in win-now mode. Correct. Yeah. So thinking of the way the Broncos are, the Broncos think they're in win-now mode, so they would want to draft this year, not two years from now. It's a first-round pick this year, which means they likely offered Jerry Judy for the 26th overall pick in the draft, and the Dallas Cowboys said no. And I don't know why the Broncos did that, and I don't know why the Dallas Cowboys said no. Mm. Because You're saying it could have been a win-win. It could have been a win Well, no. I think it was really stupid that the Broncos offered oh, that. My God. Okay. It, it, yeah. Would have been a win for the Cowboys. It would have been a huge win for the Cowboys. And, Will, you go back to the Aaron Gordon trade in, with the Nuggets. The okay. reason why the Nuggets traded so many assets for Aaron Gordon was because he was the number four overall draft pick several drafts ago, and he still had that potential. You're trading for an eight week stretch of Jerry Judy being awesome yep. and the potential that he had before. And all you have to give up is 26th overall in the draft at a time where you are looking for wide receiver weapons on the cheap and he's still on a rookie deal. Yep. That would have made perfect sense for the Dallas Cowboys. Now that you pair him with C.D. Lamb and Tony Pollard and Dak Prescott. And and you could have still made the Cooks trade, by the way. Right. Yeah, had Cooks as your three. I I guess our our, Michael Gallup still under contract down there, too. I don't know. Point being, it's a lot of weapons for a Cowboys team that – 
feels like they're close. I mean, they've they've been close in the playoffs several years. They just can't get over the hump. And I'm not going to be the guy that's like Jerry Jones is a good GM because obviously that that thing has been atrocious for years. But it doesn't seem like the Broncos actually have a plan or or know what they're doing. So what they're going to trade the 26th overall Jerry Judy for the 26th overall pick so they can draft Jordan Addison from USC, a five foot eleven receiver. Like what what is the actual plan here? And then you're going to use the cap space to bring in another guy. So now instead of having a potential number one receiver this year, you have a guy who could be a potential no- number one receiver in a few years from now, as well as a veteran who's probably a two or a three. Like it doesn't, it just doesn't seem like they know what they want out of this situation. They just are going to throw things at the fire and hope it keeps burning. If that makes sense. Well, and you're giving a great preview of my column that will drop tomorrow morning at DenverSports.com because in it I asked the question. Why would George Payton and Sean Payton want to turn Judy into another rookie that the team has to start over with? Assuming the first rounder they got back was used on a wide receiver, that would just be resetting this process. And that's what you're talking about. It it really doesn't compute to me, and I I think they'd be making a massive mistake if they pulled the trigger on a deal. And just because the Cowboys one is dead doesn't mean another team uh, doesn't come calling and want to acquire Judy for a, a pick in the late teens, early 20s, mid-20s in the upcoming draft. I mean, you mentioned it. In the final six games of the season, Judy had the three-touchdown outing against the Chiefs. He was the only guy, Jake, the only guy who showed up at the Christmas Day debacle. Half his touchdowns last year came when the Chiefs had already given up. Mm, true. Travis Kelsey was laughing on the bench. And the Chiefs sort half of, of his entire season's worth of touchdown production came in that second half. Well, and the oh, well, a couple came late, late yeah, first late, half. But yeah. I see what you're saying. And that was the game. Remember, he probably should have gotten ejected. Yes, because he bumped the official, and they didn't toss him. And then he went on to have three touchdowns. So yeah, he would have finished the year with three if he had been booted. That Continue. Half. I just had a, an epiphany. I needed. No, to it was share. interesting. Yes, yes, yes. But he was. I mean, he was the only guy who played well that day against the Rams. The day on Christmas, they did not want to be there. Jerry was the one guy who dressed that day for the Broncos looked like he wanted to be there. He showed up. Had six catches, 117 yards. And then in the season finale against the Chargers, he goes for 154 through the air, including Russell Wilson's best pass of the year at the end of the first half, the bomb to Judy uh, down the near sideline as you're looking at it on TV. And, Jake, he had 39 rushing yards against the Chargers as well. Did you know this year, Jerry Judy had four rushes for 40 yards. Three for 39 in the finale. Once again, that shows you how absolutely lost Nathaniel Hackett was that they've been trying for years to get Judy involved in these gadget plays. And guess who finally figured out how to do it? Jerry Rosberg and Justin Outen. Uh, I, I don't really like to give Outen credit, but I think Outen was literally did nothing under Hackett. And then Rosberg actually let him run the offense. And Outen kind of showed the last two weeks maybe he knows what he's doing. Now he's going to go work with Derrick Henry in Tennessee, provided he doesn't get traded. But Judy is Denver's number one receiver right now, and to me, it's not particularly close. Yeah, and here's the thing. Because of what I just mentioned, I would actually trade Jerry Judy if you could get a top 10 pick, if you could get maybe 11 or 12. Because Jackson Smith, uh, Najiba, whatever his last name is, I'm sorry, the Ohio State receiver who was awesome in the college football playoff. He'd been awesome all year for the Buckeyes. If you could get that guy and start the clock over, he's probably nearly as good as Jerry Judy right now. And, and I get the whole thought process with bringing in a veteran wide receiver, especially one who can run block, because the Broncos don't have great run block receivers. Tim Patrick will actually help them there because they want to be a running football team. 
but you can only go so far in that direction. And in the modern NFL, you need that number one guy. All of the playoff teams has that awesome number one wide receiver, yep. no doubt. And the uh, not the Nuggets, the Broncos don't have that guy. You know, I'm just so in basketball mode right now. I'm sorry, Will. No, you're good. And even, I mean, in like Kansas City, someone said, well, they didn't have Tyree Kelsey. Well, they had Travis Kelsey. So. And Kadarius Tony was awesome when they got him. It was fine. He was awesome. Uh, strong the word, awesome. But, well, but Kelsey put that team on his back to your point. So they have a Hall of Fame, legendary, maybe third or second best tight end of all time. Well, I think some people think he's already the best. Right. It's him, now. Gronk, Tony Gonzalez, rank him however you want. Yep. And with the pass blocking thing, or excuse me, the run blocking thing, Cortland Sutton doesn't block. We know that. We've watched the tape. He refuses to block. So I agree with you that, that Tim Patrick will hopefully help with that moving forward. What does Cortland Sutton do well? Post ACL tear, not much. And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to just bag on the guy, but pre ACL tear, what did he do well, Jake? He won 50 50 balls 90% of the time. He was awesome. But he lost that explosiveness the day he tore his ACL in Pittsburgh in 2020 and has not been the same guy ever since. And you said post ACL tear. I thought you were going to say post cryptic tweets. Well, cryptic tweets, uh, I don't think we've had one of those in what, 10, 12 days or something like that, but. Yeah, he he doesn't seem like the biggest happy camper in the world. So we'll we'll see if you said something interesting. If you could get to the top twelve, because you said no at twenty six, you think that'd be dumb, and I agree with you. That's what the Cowboys pick would have been. But if you could retrieve the value of a top twelve player for Judy and get a plug and play elite wide receiver from day one, who's projected in the top third of the NFL draft. Then maybe you make the deal, and even if that's an interesting line in the sand, and I see why you drew it where you drew it. And even if he's a tad bit worse than Jerry Judy right now, and even if the potential isn't that of Jerry Judy, you restart the clock, and you're desperate to save money in any way possible because of the Russell Wilson contract. But if you're restarting the clock, then how can you think you're in win now, right? Because that's where that team is now talking out of both sides of their mouth. We're in win now but we're going to take Russell's best weapon away from him to go younger and reset the clock. Russ going to be 35 next year. There's no resetting the clock with Russ. Yeah, and there, there's a, that's a good point, but you just have to figure that you're taking a tiny bit step back for the potential number one wide receiver of the future, and you're just hoping that he can be just as good as Jerry Judy has been this past you know eight weeks or whatever uh, of football, the last eight weeks, and then he can replicate that moving forward, and he's on a cheaper deal. And by the way, uh, when you're drafted 12, you make less money than when you're drafted fifth overall. So you're also saving money there. And, you know, we're not talking about a lot of money, but the Broncos are have to be penny, pitch, penny pinchers with the deal that they've given Russell Wilson. Well, let's look at the, some of the teams here. I've got the draft order in front of me now. And, and let's look at someone who may, may be interested in this trade. Like, all right, Tennessee picks at eleven. Could you talk Tennessee into the number 11 pick for Jerry Judy? I mean, they did trade A.J. Brown, and yeah, they took Traylon Burks in the first round last year out of Arkansas, but they're they're still looking for a top-tier wide receiver out in Tennessee. That that could be one you could make the call on. What about Houston picking at 12 because they pick at 2 and 12? Could you convince the Texans, hey, Jerry Judy for the number 12 pick? Perhaps, because they'll get their quarterback of the future at number 2. Um, Atlanta picks at 8. I don't know if that's something you could talk them into. Vegas at seven. Vegas loves receivers. McDaniels is quirky, but he has Devontae Adams already, and I don't think he's trading the number seven pick within the division. And then you go, okay, what about the Jets at 13? 
hey, you're going to sign Aaron Rodgers. Can I interest you in pairing Jerry Judy with Aaron Rodgers or you're going to trade for Aaron Rodgers? Then again, that pick is likely going to Green Bay. And that tra- I don't think a first-round pick's going to Green Bay. I don't think they're going to have to trade a first-round pick. Well, then they're idiots for not doing the deal with the Broncos a year ago because look at what Russ cost and look at what they potentially well, the, the value of Rodgers is going to be. That extension out. screwed them because it's not a positive value contract under the salary cap now. That That's why it's not the surplus value that it was before. Wait, whose extension? Uh, uh, Rodgers' extension that okay. happened because that happened right after, you know, it was – he he's not getting traded. We're extending. He's going to stay in Green Bay. Yeah. Um, w- what I'll tell you is, you mentioned Tennessee. I think Tennessee will move up for a quarterback. I think that you know Indianapolis is likely to move up even a spot. You know Seattle might even move up too, and so are the Raiders. So we're looking at four teams there that might move up for a quarterback, even if it's just a spot or two. So this order is going to get shaken around quite a bit. So I would. Well, who are they moving up with? Because they can't move up with each other if they all want quarterbacks. Well, I, I think that you know Indianapolis will try to move up to three because Arizona is going to try and trade down because they've got Kyler Murray. They don't need a quarterback. And then Seattle might try to move up one spot too. Well, they just gave Geno Smith one hundred and five million. I don't think they'll go quarterback in the first. I think round. that's the Anthony Richardson team, or or Las Vegas is with with uh, with Jimmy Garoppolo. Like any team that has a veteran is going to be the the. A Richardson team. Yeah, no, and, and that's fair, but you may not have to, to move up for him. But you're right. I mean, let's be honest. No one in the top seven of this draft is trading that pick for Jerry Judy. No. Top seven picks are, are super, super premium. But the will NFL. the Philadelphia Eagles? Well, they just traded for A.J. Brown. So do they think they need another weapon, or do they think, hey, we just scored 35 points in the Super Bowl. we got to figure out a way to beat Patrick Mahomes. I don't know. Right. They did lose Miles Sanders, but different position it's a team to watch for sure. I mean, that's in that range of, you know, I think that 10 to 14 to 16 range is definitely where, I mean, if the Broncos were were willing to do it for 26, they sure as heck are going to be willing to do it for 10 to 16. Right. And, and this is where I look at it, too, where it's like if you could get up to 14 or 13 with Jerry Judy plus a third rounder, I would do that. You know, like, oh, no doubt. like when you start adding some of those pieces and assets with the team and, you know, I, I just mentioned Philadelphia and just because they were, you know, so well known, they just played in the Super Bowl. They're mocked right now to get former buff Christian Gonzalez, which makes a lot of sense because they've lost a lot on their defense the last week and a half. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's some teams that would do it. But unless you're getting one of those top one, two, maybe even three wide receiver talents out of the draft, it does not make much sense to trade Judy away because you're not getting anything in free agency now. Yeah. And what, you're going to take a project late in the first round or in the second round? Like, what good does that do you if you are in win-now mode? And I've seen a texter make this argument, well, Sean Payton only needs one wide receiver. Like, Marquise Colston and Michael Thomas were awesome. Those are two Hall of Fame players. Like, Marquise Colston's a borderline Hall of Famer. Michael Thomas is a slam-dunk Hall of Famer. You need a standout number one wide receiver to be your one wide receiver. The Broncos don't have that, and their only chance of that is Jerry Judy taking another leap. All right, we'll have to see how it shakes out. Clearly the Thielen stuff got this conversation rolling today that he said he heard from the Broncos. You can read about that at denversports.com. But coming up next, the Avalanche make two pieces of news today involving two star players, Gabriel Landeskog and Kale McCarr. Sports tonight on Denver's Sports Station, 1043 The Fan.
All right, the Avalanche and Blackhawks get going in about 40 minutes at Ball Arena. Abs, red hot, five-game winning streak. Perfect 4-0-0 on the road trip. They scored 20 goals in four games, including at least five in three of the four. Eight against Montreal held that average. But, Jake, road trip behind us, looking at the the front mirror, as Sean Payton likes to say, no rearview mirror. The Abs actually have a couple pieces of news today at their skate-around before the game tonight against Chicago. The first and most significant, although nothing imminent, but still a big, big step, at least in my eyes. I'm curious to hear your take. Gabriel Landeskog out there in a Red Knot contact jersey today. First time he has participated in a morning skate all year. Now, Jared Bednar says all part of the plan, still going to have to work on his own for quite a while was Bednar's way of phrasing it. You know, hockey coaches don't talk a lot about injuries, but I'm curious your thoughts on finally seeing the captain on a game day, again in a red non-contact sweater, but he didn't just skate on his own before. It was only about 10 minutes, but he skated with the team at ball. To me, that does seem like a fairly significant step. What do you say? You're introducing an element of something uncontrolled when there are other players on the ice. Okay. That is a significant step when you're recovering from a knee injury. The Avs playoff run will begin four weeks from today, just about. Today's the 20th. Their regular season ends on the 13th of April, so it should begin just around the 20th of April. That's when it began last year, too. Tonight's actually, the Blackhawks are playing well. They've won two of their last three games. They're the worst team in hockey. They've also um, lost eight of 11. I did look that up. Yeah. So I, I like your real real short-term I'm, view. I'm, I'm just two saying. Of the last three. I'm just saying, the Blackhawks aren't playing as poorly as they have been for most of the year, which has made them the worst team in hockey. I do think it's smart, just like load management in the NBA, to get Kale McCarr a night off after carrying the Avs on the road trip. But ultimately, the big news from today, no matter what happens in this game tonight, is going to be Gabe. And if the Avs can even get 80 to 70% of what Gabe was last playoff run, that is a significant third or fourth line player because Gabe has the tr- skill set the rare skill set of a first-line player who could actually play on all four lines because he is gritty. He gets to the spots. He can play rough and tumble. So even if Gabe is not Gabe, even if Gabe is just a shell of himself, he's likely better than the Avs' 18th or 17th skater, which is important. And just getting him out there from a leadership standpoint is important. The uh, the Kings for forever had Dustin Brown remain their captain, even when though he was washed. He was getting healthy scratched as, as the captain. They had to change the captaincy after that happened. Wow, um, that's funny. I didn't but, know that. Yeah, but, you know, it's just important to have him around, and I think the more we start seeing him skate around will be big, and I know the Avs have, you know, a, a good set of home games here coming up in their last 14. You introduced a really interesting idea there, though, because... Almost everyone, myself included, thinks, all right, Gabe Landeskog's back first or second line, no question. I mean, this team's not nearly as loaded on offense as they were last year. There's no Kadri. There's no Burakovsky. Lekkanen is is now hurt. His timeline remains sketchy. I mean, Jake, they have Dennis Mulgan playing on the top two lines, for goodness sake. Yet you think Gabe could come back as a third or fourth line guy. That, to me, seems, hmm... Not unrealistic, necessarily, because I think you're just looking at it as, hey, get him in the lineup, and if he only can give you 10 to 12 minutes a night, he can only give you 10 to 12 minutes, and that's better than nothing. But I think Gabe may be, not that Gabe's cocky, but Gabe may have a little too much pride to come back and say, I'm skating on the fourth line because I'm, no, nah, he's Gabe Landeskog. 
I think if he comes back, he's going to want to come back, be a huge part of the power play, and be a top six forward like he's intended to be and has been his whole career. It's kind of like when a basketball player comes back from a significant injury and they may start off on the bench or in a role like that. I'm not going to I'm not saying Gabe's going to be on the bench if they make it to the Stanley Cup or the the third or fourth line if they make it to the Stanley Cup, but having him come back and not have all the responsibility, just getting him back in an NHL environment is going to be big. And we're talking about him may getting these first games like with two or three regular season games to go or in the first round of the playoffs. Correct. So you're going to have a rusty Gabe Landeskog again for the second year in a row, this time far rustier. He, he's not a first-line player. He's just not. You're going to introduce him in 8-minute, 10-minute, then 12, then 14, then 15, and then 18. You're going to slowly build him back up before you start putting him on the power play. And you know what? You might put him on the power play to be the net front presence, not to be the, the guy that's going to do everything because he's awesome around the net. He was great last year in the playoffs at that role. Yeah, he was awesome in that role. Yep. And that's not one that requires... All the energy in the world. It, it requires a little less. Although, again, it's an element of uncertainty because there's a lot of legs. You could get tripped up. And that's the thing Jamal Murray's scared about with his knee still is if I go up for a rebound, what am I landing? Could I get undercut? Could I land on something wrong? Correct. You mentioned Kale McCarr, too. Uh, you said it. He's out tonight against the Blackhawks. Jared Bednar called him day-to-day, said it was just a tweak um, of something he did against Detroit. He was out there for morning skate this morning. The media there spotted him, and then they spotted him leaving early so that Bowen Byram could run the power play one. That's really curious, though, because you have a little different take on this than me. I'm going to take the Avs at face value. Hey, he's beat up, and they just don't think he can play tonight. You think it's load management. He was a he was awesome during the road trip. We have a story at denversports.com. He was second star of the week in the NHL. And they don't really need him tonight against a craptastic Blackhawks team, so they're going to give Kale a well-earned night off. That's your read on this? The home run Randy Rose Arena just robbed, by the way, in the World Baseball Classic is like all-time highlight. Um, anyway, yeah, uh, my take is is in hockey, load management is not a nice word. And, you guys, and, and they don't rest unless they're really hurt. I believe, yes, he's hurt. I believe what you believe, he's hurt. If this was game six of the playoffs, I think he's playing tonight. Like, that's the thing is, is, is he both hurt and is today a good opportunity to rest him? Yes. That's why he's resting. You also piqued my curiosity because I was like, Dennis, that's not an athlete name with Dennis Mulgan. And then I thought about it. Dennis Hull, Dennis Eckersley, Dennis Rodman, Dennis Johnson. Yeah, who are the best Dennises in sports history? Rod, Rodman, Johnson, Eckersley. That's a trio right there. Yeah, there's some good Dennises. I, I, didn't, I didn't really give Dennis enough credit. Uh, as a good athlete name. Dennis the Menace. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, no one, no one, because he wasn't even on the team, could have predicted that on March 20th, Dennis Mulgan would be a top six forward for the Avs, and they would be rolling along only a couple points back of Minnesota, a couple points back of Dallas in the Central Division. They actually are three back of the Stars and have two in hand, so they still control their own destiny for not, for yet another Division crown. All right, we'll keep an eye on that Avs game. Obviously, have you posted, or, or excuse me, have you covered at denversports.com? Keep you posted tomorrow. But coming up next, the Nuggets get a big win yesterday in Brooklyn. Are they back on track? We will tell you. But in the meantime, you can experience the great American RV show that is coming to the Colorado Convention Center Thursday, March 30th through Saturday, April 1st. There's regional RV and camper deals. Uh, and, and whether you're looking to buy or planning your next camping adventure, the Great American RV Show is the place to be. 
so you can be caller number four right now, 303-713-1043, 303-713-1043, and you will win a four-pack of tickets to that great American RV show coming here in about 10 days. We'll hit the Nuggets next. We'll hit the Buffs. And listen, man, the Rose Arena catches maybe the catch of the year thus far in baseball. Daniel Bard, he's been the dud of the year. Oh. <clears throat> Nuggets get a big win yesterday in Brooklyn. Sort of felt like a game they had to have. Just kind of keep this road trip on track. They obviously beat the Pistons, which is not to, not much to write home about. But to, to lose to the Knicks on Saturday, but turn around and get the Nets on Sunday, that was big. Jake, obviously Jamal Murray was really good early yesterday. Michael Porter Jr. and Nikola Jokic took him home down the stretch. The fourth quarter was ugly, but the game... Other than a, a moment here or there, never really felt in question. Your takeaways from a win for the Nuggets yesterday that felt much needed, uh, a big breath of fresh air for a team that had, had a really rough six games before that. Yeah, DMAC wrote about that uh, this morning on denversports.com for those of you who missed DMAC on the air today. Uh, and I wrote this morning on denverfan.denversports.com about uh, Zeke Naji coming back, which is one mm. of the big notices from the weekend for me. He has been by far and away the second best center the Nuggets have had uh, backing up Nikola Jokic besides Mason Plumley. It's him and Mason Plumley have been the only. You're talking career. Yeah, like in the Nikola Jokic era. Okay. Uh, those are the only two good ones. He's certainly better than Thomas Bryan or DeAndre Jordan. Right, and he's better than a small ball Jeff Green. And I think small ball Aaron Gordon will be what you want to roll out in the playoffs, but you still are probably going to need six or so minutes of Zeke Naji in the playoffs. And he had a play last night in the game, or yesterday afternoon, where he switched defenders. He came down low uh, on help contest, contests the shot, runs the break, finishes a layup, and he can stretch the floor as well in the half court. And nobody's thinking the Nuggets bench unit is going to be this scoring team that can, like, do things without Nikola Jokic on the floor. But if they can simply get stops, get out and run and score, I don't know, four to eight points every time they're out there, that's better than what's been happening. And I think Zeke Naji, while he's not a cure-all for the Nuggets, he's a better thing that they have coming off the bench than what they've had the last couple months or the last month or so with uh, him off the floor. So I, that's something I noticed. I think Jamal Murray looked a lot like himself yesterday. And particularly, Brooklyn is an interesting team, and it's a hard matchup for the Nuggets because Nick Claxton is one of the best defenders in the NBA at the center position. And then they've got really lengthy wings with Mikel Bridges and Dorian Finney-Smith. And this is what teams are going to do with the Nuggets in the playoffs. They're going to throw wings at Nikola Jokic, try to get their hands in the passing lanes, arms in the passing lanes, and they're going to put a center that's mobile on him and try and guard him uh, from outside and one that's hopefully strong enough that can hold him on the inside. That's what teams are going to think. In Brooklyn, when they came to Denver, shut down Nikola Jokic. It was not good. That was one of his worst games of the year. And historically speaking, Nikola Jokic's worst games have come against Phoenix where DeAndre Ayton is a rangy big man with some size and some strength, and they had those wings, Cam Johnson, uh, Jay Crowder, Mikael Bridges, who could get into the passing lanes. So that's the ultimate scare for me in the playoffs, is a team like that. Yeah. 
So for the they're Nuggets, not on a crash course to face Phoenix in the second round, right? And by the way, they don't really have any of those wings anymore. They they traded all those wings. Um, the only but they one, still have Aiton. They have Aiton. They still have the guy who'll be guarding you. Know, and Kish. then it's Tory Craig. Yeah, um, oh, our old buddy. Right, and yeah. Tory's been awesome for Phoenix. That that's a, that was a big miss by the Nuggets to to not keep him and sign Faku Campazo instead. Um, but, yeah, so I noticed that yesterday in the Nets game is the Nuggets beating that style of defense. They looked better in it. They looked a little bit more comfortable in it. Jamal Murray looked himself in the first half. Michael Porter Jr. has been awesome for the Nuggets, and he continues just to take steps on offense and defense, and it's getting lost. And, you know, Will, you know this as a Missouri guy, he just hasn't played much. Like, he's in his fourth or fifth year of his, his pro career, and he's on this mega deal. There are second-year players in the NBA who have played more games in the NBA than Michael Porter Jr. Yeah, when you have three back surgeries in in five or six years, it's like, man, he's just been having trouble getting on the the floor. And it does feel like, and and I said this to Rachel Vial on Coffee Break this morning, Jake, for the first time, and we're, we're knocking on all the wood, trust me, we're knocking on all the wood. We are talking about Michael Porter Jr., the basketball player, and not Michael Porter Jr., the injury-prone basketball player. That is a refreshing feeling to be talking about what is his ceiling as opposed to can he stay healthy. That is huge for the Nuggets. Yeah, and we had a little tiny stretch of that back in the 2020-2021 season when he was scoring 20 points a game and he was doing those things, and then, you know, everything came crashing down with Jamal Murray's ACL. But, you know, that's what I look at this weekend. And I think the Knicks game, they actually didn't play that bad. The Knicks are a really good team. Jalen Brunson's quietly been the second-best player in basketball since the All-Star break. He's been awesome for them. He's going to be the rare guy that doesn't make the All-Star team but actually makes an All-NBA team, Mm. which is really weird. Um, um, and, you know, the, the rest of the road trip, it, if they can finish this road trip two and three, even if they lose to the Wizards, which they shouldn't, they finish this road trip three and two playing some of their worst basketball of the year. It shows you just how good the Nuggets are. They even finish this two and three, come home and they're rested because this game's not till Wednesday and they don't play a home game till Saturday. They come back rested, and then they come out firing on full cylinders against Philadelphia and Milwaukee. I'm still going to feel pretty good about where the Nuggets are. They go five and five the rest of the way, and... Memphis loses two games and Sacramento loses three, they still win the West. Like, it's over still. Yeah, yeah, the math lines up that the Nuggets really only have to win five or six games and they will be the number one seed almost no matter what, barring one of those teams reeling off a a 10-11 game winning streak. With the Wizards game, though, on Wednesday, I, I, I can't agree with you that I'll be okay if they lose. I mean, they played Sunday. They don't play again until Saturday. It's your one job of the entire week is to play a bad Wizards team on Wednesday. You, you got to win. That, that's a little too free pass for me to just say, oh, well, we're already 2-2. Two and two. We can give up on this one. It's not a back-to-back. You have at least two off on either side of it. Just uh, just one that I, I think they need to get, and I think they probably will get because I think for whatever reason, yesterday's game felt like the Nuggets sort of announcing, okay, we're back, slumps over. And they just threw a game to the Wizards. Like, they just did this. Um you know, uh, well, no, it's the Bulls. I get the Wizards and Bulls confused sometimes. I'm sorry. There's a lot of former Nuggets on the Bulls and Wizards. Well, they didn't throw the game to the Bulls. Though. Well, eh. they just played awful. I mean, all, all the guys were out there. Yeah. Who did they rest that night? Nobody. Okay. There are some weird things going on in that game. A lot of friends on both sides. But look at this, Will. There's a lot of former Nuggets on the Wizards. Wizards are fighting for a playoff spot. I'm just going to tell you, I'm not going to be completely surprised if the Nuggets drop that game. You're wearing a tinfoil hat that I am not going to wear. Doesn't James normally host this show? I'm just trying to put it on. It was right here sitting next to the seat. He left it for me. Is it your size? 
He's got the he, he's got the Bruce Bochy head. You got a big head. <laughs> uh, real quick, Daniel Bard uh, breaks Jose Altuve's thumb. That's literally the highlight from the Rockies in the World Baseball Classic. Yeah. So Rockies. Kyle Freeland could pitch tomorrow night in the championship game, though. Bards allowed 32% of the runs USA has allowed in this tournament That's in 1.2 innings. For KJ, for Jake, I'm Will. Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan.